Good to see everybody this morning. It is a wonderful, hot day. Uh, and uh, that's all right. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be looking at uh, different things in this particular chapter. Uh, in fact, I'm going to just kind of read it to you. In chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Oztus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Our summer road trip has taken us on to some amazing places and today by the way this is a fan not a sorry about that it's a little fan around my neck I just realized it's on um, <clears throat> so today we're going to we're going to a desert road and it is the place where where this man Philip meets this other guy who's an Ethiopian. And it's really an interesting text that we find. In fact, we learn that he is a eunuch. And it's, for us, it's like, well, we don't, that's not a word we hear very often. But to put it in its terms, in the biblical times, there were those who were typically castrated before the time of puberty. Some uh, willingly, many of them were not. And it was for the purpose for kings to have them as their servants, to be very close to them because they could trust them with their harem. They didn't worry about them assassinating them and, and because they wanted to have a dynasty of their own because they were unable to have children. So this man, we see, he is a finance minister for the queen of Ethiopia. Except for the Magi from the east and except for you know, Jesus' family, they flee to Egypt uh, in order to escape Herod at the very beginning after his birth. Other than that, the Gospels kind of stay within a hundred mile radius. But when we get to the book of Acts, all of a sudden, 
we're on some international roads. And this road, which is from Jerusalem to Gaza, what's called the Desert Road, is one that's going to take us to one of those destinations. Now, the early church, we know that they were still in Jerusalem. That's kind of where it was centered. But it was a dangerous time for Christians. If you look at the very beginning, the very first verse of of Acts chapter 8, we see that Saul is persecuting the church. And there was this scattering that occurred. Well, that brings us to this guy, Philip. Now, Philip is a guy that we first hear about in Acts chapter 6. You may know him as one of the seven that was chosen to take care of the Grecian widows. But now all of a sudden we see him in chapter 8, if you look at verses 4 and 5, and he was a part of that scattering. And he goes to Samaria of all places. And there he begins to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ until an angel comes to him and says... I want you to go to this one man who's on a desert road because this is important. It is a road of destiny that we're going to see and it also shows us what it is that we need. And the first thing that we see is we need guidance, right? We need guidance. Now it's hard for us men to admit, right? Especially when we're talking about being on a road trip. We don't like to admit when we're lost. Now we have GPS, but if GPS doesn't get us there, we're not going to ask for directions more than likely, right? And so we do that with our spiritual roads too, right? On our spiritual journeys. We don't always like to ask for help. But here, when Philip finds this Ethiopian, he is sitting in a chariot and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Now, first of all, we need to be impressed that he has a scroll of Isaiah. Those are very expensive. The other thing is he could read. That's also a big deal back in that day and time. But despite his education, despite who this man was, he realized he was struggling to understand. And so when Philip asked him about it, what does he say? He says, well, how can I unless someone guides me? Great humility of this man who has such an important job. And he's wanting guidance. He doesn't just assume that he doesn't need anyone to teach him God's word. And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves as well. And that is, are we willing to have guidance and help along the way? I don't know about you, but I have needed guidance in understanding the book of Isaiah too. Some of you are like, I'm not even close to even being guided yet. (laughs) You know, I get it. I remember it was a few years ago, Bob Ragon came to me, and he said, uh, he said, do you have any good commentaries on Isaiah? He says, I, I struggle understanding that book. Now, we all know Bob, those of us who are part of this church, but how, much, how many years has Bob studied? How many years has this man read the book of Isaiah? And here he, and I even said to him, I was like, huh, if I can figure out a few things, I'll let you know. Because here's the thing. Bob and I, just like probably everybody in here, we're Gentiles trying to understand a Jewish book. But we're soon going to find out this Jewish book, Isaiah even, has a lot to do with us. We can be tempted to think, you know, all a person needs is the Bible. That's it. Just give them a Bible and then they'll, they'll easily they'll be able to understand exactly what it is they need to do. 
But here's a eunuch. He's well-educated. He's very knowledgeable in a lot of things. But he is struggling to understand some things. We all need teachers. God has provided those who have studied for years, those who are skilled teachers, who have studied their Bibles, those who have this, this, uh, this gift of discernment and understanding and, and, and wisdom. Now, in middle school, for me, that was Dr. Kerr. Now, I know y'all don't know who Dr. Kerr is because that's a little town of Hamilton, Alabama. My parents would know who, they are, who he is. And he taught our middle school Bible class. I was a terrible student. Terrible, terrible, terrible. He hated me in his class. And he didn't think I learned a thing. I learned so much. And he taught the Old Testament quite a bit. When I went to Faulkner University, it was my professors, Bible professors such as Wendell Winkler and Kenneth Randolph. Man, they really helped me to understand some things that I'd never understood. When I got into preaching as a, as a very young and into ministry, I, I relied on Bill Camp. He was an elder. On Joe Nall, he was a retired preacher. And I went to them often just asking them questions, just helping me to understand certain things. And through the years, I've learned these trusted scholars and resources. And, and probably, I would say, I've learned more from Tim Mackey than I have any of all my years before that. I've never even met the guy. But if you've ever seen the Bible Project, you also realize he has these really college-level Bible classes on there. He has podcasts, and he has sermons, and he has resource recommendations that have just continued to help me to grow and to understand. And probably every single one of you, if I went around, and I know I don't have time, but if we had time to go around, I would ask you, who is it that you went to that helped you in understanding God's Word? Who is it that helped you when times when you just weren't sure what this meant? Who are those people who helped in your development? And we all have had those people in our lives this is a large, and it's sometimes a complex book with these deep spiritual concepts that are not always self-evident. And that's not to say that we can't learn anything of our own. There, there's some religions who have believed that, and in other words, let me just tell you what it says. But the fact is, there we can learn some limited things about this Bible on our own, and it is so wonderful when we can read something, and it's like, oh yeah, I see it, I get it, it's great. But God has always had a place and a purpose for teachers. He's always. What God needs are those who are humble and teachable and prayerful. When we look at this Ethiopian eunuch, that's exactly what we see. And that's exactly what he needed. Because without it, he's not going to get the other thing that he needed. And that is, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. I mean, this guy had to be confused from this Isaiah passage about this lamb that slaughtered and, and all this. And he even says, you know, he says to Philip, I mean, who's he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And we don't know exactly what Philip said. And that bothers me as a preacher. But we do know this. It says that he told him, he began there, he began there and told him about Jesus. 
And I imagine that he would have told him about the, 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 uh, the sacrificial lambs at the temple and how Jesus would become that perfect and final sacrifice. And how these, these sacrifices at the temple, that, that, that all these lambs are killed every single year for the people. And how Jesus is going to be that once and for all sacrifice. Because Jesus is, from the very beginning, he is the Lamb of God, according to John, for John chapter 1 and verse 29. He may have been drawn to Isaiah's writings because he talks about God's acceptance of foreigners and eunuchs. The Ethiopian eunuch is both. In fact, you may even want to turn your Bible to Isaiah 56. This is three chapters after the one that he was reading. But I would be shocked if this man had never heard about what Isaiah said about eunuchs. But here's what he says in Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3. He says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, I cannot produce. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Why is that such a big deal? Because eunuchs, even those who you know, were proselytes, they, were, they didn't have full access to the temple like these others, according to Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1, because there were some things that were now missing, without trying to be crude here. At the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, they, this is the, the Yad Vashem. It is a memorial for the million and a half children, Jewish children who died in the Holocaust by the Nazis. Their names of these children, they are continuously being read through, uh, throughout. Yad Vashem is a Hebrew word, and it simply means a memorial and a name. It was to make sure that they would never be forgotten. Where did Yad Vashem come from? Isaiah 56. When the prophet tells these eunuchs, that they will always have, there will always be a memorial and a name for them. They'll always be remembered. Now, why is that such a big deal? Again, because I'm able, my wife and I, we were able to have children. And by the way, we're going to have a grandchild. I know. There you go. Surprise. Um, uh, and so, and by the way, it's my son that's married. It's, he's the one. Um, but anyway, so, you know, we, we have children. They, they will always remember us. They think about us. They thank God for us. As Missy and I do our own parents. But for a eunuch, they can't have children. And there were many who looked at eunuchs as being useless because they could not contribute to the future of Israel at all. But Isaiah says, God says they are to have, you are to have compassion upon them. And he's saying that you will not, you will not be excluded from the kingdom of God. Even before this, he says there are going to be some in the royal family 
that are going to be carted off to Babylon and they will be made eunuchs. And he's saying, God has not forgotten you. And that when the Messiah shows up on the scene, you will know that it's close to God gathering the outcasts. The Ethiopian eunuch is a beautiful illustration of the prophecy being fulfilled right here on the desert road. On the desert road, what is he reading? Isaiah 53. As I said, he must have been very confused about this, about this lamb. But he is, Jesus is, the lamb of God. I imagine Philip showed him the final verses of Isaiah chapter 53. It's the prophecy where the lamb is going to rise up from the grave like a warrior that is just is carrying its fill of spoil. His weakness will turn to strength. His dishonor will be turned to honor. His defeat will be turned to victory because he is the conqueror. The conquering king who has come to make right these relationships with humanity and with God. Jesus is the message we preach, folks. It's the message we teach. You know, sometimes, you know, you see, you know, we, we want to have a lot of gimmicks and you see this out in the world just because just we just want people here kind of thing, you know. And, and in some of those situations, you know, they never learn about the importance of the weight of sin and understanding what that's about, the importance of repentance and being cleansed and, and the necessity of Christ's suffering and death and resurrection. Christianity, folks, is not simply about a God who loves sinners. Well, that's wonderful. It's more than that. It's not simply about, well, listen, if I become a Christian, then, then I can just ask God anything and he's going to be like a genie and he'll give me anything that I want. The world needs to know the Jewish Jesus who has come to be a light to the Gentiles. That's us, non-Jews. And guess where John gets this from? Isaiah. He gets it from Isaiah. He has come to bring those of us who are non-Jews out of the darkness. We need Jesus. Something else we learn is that we need baptism, right? We need baptism. Philip must have talked to the eunuch about baptism because they come on some water and he says, you know, here's water. What's, is there anything preventing me from being immersed? That's what the word means. Now, Philip must have made this connection, I believe, this parallel between this, the, the Lamb's sacrificial death and burial and resurrection and baptism. Like Paul does in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When Jesus came on the scene, he paid close attention to the themes of Isaiah. 
and of God's plan to birth this new human family that is not going to be based upon procreation, the one of Genesis 1 and 2. He, we see that there's a new kind of family that is, that is rising up that's going to come through Jesus. And we see that, that it is exactly what we find with the eunuchs in Isaiah 56. It's the ability to reproduce so Isaiah says God is going to keep multiplying his family and it's not going to be dependent upon the bloodline of Israel. Jesus reinvents the boundaries for the family to those who give their allegiance to him. And that's why we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 3 and 4 he says uh, that's not it. First Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4, according to his great mercy, he was caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. It will not be defiled. It will not, be, uh, it will not fade. It's going to be kept in heaven. It's waiting for you. Jesus said, look, Unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot be born again. Cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean to the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, it means despite being a foreigner, that God's people are no longer tied to a geological location. It means despite being unable to bear children, he is a part of a larger spiritual family with many brothers and sisters that will continue to multiply. It means that he is no longer an outsider looking in. But what does that mean to us? There are people in our world who feel like they are on the outside looking in. Sometimes they're the very people who sit in our pews. Singles and Parents who are not able to have children sometimes feel this way. And sometimes we make them feel like, feel this way because of comments that we make. You know, we may say to a single person, hey, when are you going to find somebody and get married? Or to a couple, when are you going to start having kids? And without even realizing, maybe they can't have kids. And they feel like less of a person because of that. The good news means that the unmarried and the childless, they are not disgraced. It also means that on the desert road, it comes for all, every nation and every tribe. We have many people who visit this church over the years. We have our flight school that's just right over here. and We've had lots of international students who have come and sometimes communication is a little bit difficult, but do they ever feel like, or maybe we make them feel like, that they're on the outside looking in? That's just one example. But let's just say we live in a nation that is completely ungodly. God save the Ethiopian. He lived in a country that did not honor Christ, but it did not stop him from rejoicing over what he found in Jesus Christ. If we have been joined to Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we shouldn't let what the government does or doesn't do determine if we're going to be joyful or not. 
we hope and we pray for the best. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what defines us. Unfortunately, I think sometimes the only thing they see of us Christians when things happen in an ungodly way or, or certain ungodly actions are allowed or whatever, they see us only angry or mournful or panicked. And very rarely do they see us rejoicing over the fact that we are saved in Christ Jesus, no matter where we live, no matter what happens around us. But the good news also means that if someone has genetically altered their gender, they can still find Jesus. Hundreds of trans people regret the decisions that they make. This is according to a trans activist who detransitioned back in 2018. That person was slammed. Since that time, there have been hundreds who have contacted her to let them know the regret and the shame that they feel since that time. Just a little over a month ago, at the end of May, 60 Minutes, they also did a, a segment on transition regret. Four people who were interviewed who had this, this gender transition regretted it. They had also two healthcare professionals who supported trans rights and, and doing these things, but they said they had concerns over what is happening. And we see it in our world. Transgenderism is such a political and publicized subject. There seems to be this push for people that if they have any kind of thoughts whatsoever, that they need to go and get this kind of thing done. The number of young people seeking gender transition is higher than it has ever been ever in our country. In the UK, there are children as young as three and four years old who are getting this transgender, um, this, this transition. I believe that in the future, and I believe probably right now even in the present, there's a lot of folks who realize they made a mistake. There are things that were there that aren't there anymore, and they feel shame, and they're going to feel isolated. The eunuch shows us that Jesus wants to save them, that Jesus loves them, that despite that they ever are able to have children, that they can become a part of God's ever-growing family. And that doesn't mean that we're I didn't mean really to single out transgenders as much as it was to say to anyone who feels like you're on the outside and you're looking in that Jesus loves you so much. There are people who feel marginalized because of the way they look, because of social awkwardness, because they don't meet society's standards or whatever it may be, but Jesus says, I love you and I want to save you. And we're to be the Phillips of the world. And we're to reach out to those who are foreigners, to the eunuchs of our society, and to show them Jesus and what all that means. So what happened to these two men? Well, tradition says that the eunuch uh, went back to Ethiopia and started the first church there, according to tradition. 
we know with Philip that Philip left. He's sent away. He's to go to another place. And all along the way, he's telling people about Jesus Christ. 20 years later, get this, 20 years later in Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul shows up at his door in Caesarea. We see that Philip has four daughters, unmarried, and all of them with the ability to prophesy God's word. Amazing family. And isn't it interesting that Philip, when he took off for Samaria and then to the eunuch and all of these other places, he took off because of a scattering that started with Saul, who later became Paul. And now here they are 20 years later in the same home. And they are unified in the same mission of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you feel like that outsider looking in. I don't know if there are things in your life and you feel very confused. And our world and our culture just feeds you all kinds of things. And you just, you just want to know, what is it? Just guide me through this book. Help me. We want to do that. After, in a moment, I'll go over through that door, go all the way across to our Founders Hall, and anyone who wants to sit and talk, ask questions. Anybody that maybe wants to understand some things, and, and probably you're going to ask me some things, and I'm going to go, I have no idea. I need a better understanding. <laughs> but that's what this is about, because here's the thing. We need Jesus. We just need to find him here. We need to see how that relates to our own lives. And you, maybe you're a person, you say, you know what, I think I'm ready to be baptized. Come talk to me. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's just, like, just like Philip did, you know, let's just sit down together and let's just talk. Because we need it. He saw it. He needed it. And he went away rejoicing. And that's all we want. That's all we want for all of us. And more importantly, that's all God wants for all of us. Well, we're getting ready to dismiss our, our kids. In fact, we'll go ahead and let our kids uh, that want to go to Bible class, uh, they can do that um, now. Um, we'll give them a little bit of time to leave. And um, what we're going to do, I'm going to have a prayer in just a second. And like I say, after that prayer, I'm going to head straight over. Uh, and uh, be glad to, and, and you may be here and you're just, uh, you're a visitor and you just want to stop in and just say, hey, just wanted to meet you. Please, please come over. That's why I'm there. We have air conditioning on and I'll have my little fan around my neck. Um, but we would, we would absolutely love, love to have you over there um, with us. This time, why don't we stand? And after this prayer, we'll take a five minute break. And then we'll start up our, our class that Joe was talking about. If you haven't watched it, I mean, any of these, man, it is so good for those of you who've stayed. I, I don't know if I've heard really hardly anyone say they didn't love this. I've, a lot of folks have talked about how good this is. And it really is so informative. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you and we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for us. Father, we thank you that you care for us. And for people that sometimes we overlook, sometimes people that maybe we push off, maybe people we think could never be saved. But Father, we just, we thank you that your son came to this earth and died for all of us. 
Father, we are all sinners in need of your Son. Father, just help us to open this book and just help us to understand it better. Father, help me to understand the things that maybe I haven't quite gotten that would, would help this body of people. And Father, I pray for those in this church who can help me to understand. Father, just use us in whatever ways possible. But Father, we just are doing our best here. But we know that you've done the greatest. And it's in you and in your Son that we call upon you this day in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we'll break for about five minutes. <laughs>